Welcome, everybody. This is the MOH podcast number nine. Thanks for being here. Uh, the opening song you heard there was The In Crowd by Dobie Gray. And I got to admit, I always hated that song. I don't play that song. I'll never play that song because I was never a part of the in crowd. It's okay. It's okay. If you were, you can you can still think you're cool. But I, I got to tell you, this morning when we uh, finish with this session that Winky's going to do, you'll be ashamed if you were ever part of the in crowd. That's the name of this episode this week that Winky's doing. He's called this one the in crowd. And um, it's uh, basically continuing on with the um, the counterfeit conversion uh, series that we've been doing. This is kind of the third part of that, the people pleaser. Uh, Winky gave this session, uh, you know, many times back in the day and, and always uh, with a slightly different twist, I guess. But we're ready for it, if you are. And uh, here it is, this week's episode of Winky. Let's jump right into it. This session, you can call the in-crowd. I think the vast majority of more evangelical churches today, you will find Christian counterfeits called the in, that you could call the in-crowd. I think in some of the more online denominational churches, you find a lot of religion of fear. And uh, some of the more fundamental churches that do not stress the preaching of a holy life, you'll find a lot who call themselves carnal, but in the more sophisticated evangelical churches, I think you'll find the in crowd, and that's the last kind of counterfeit the Bible talks about, but counterfeit nevertheless. Turn in your Bibles to the book of John, John chapter 12, verse 37. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. Here is a man that saw Jesus do some miracles, and they didn't believe in him. 
that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who hath believed our report? To whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? They could not believe because that Isaiah said again, he blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted, and I should heal them. I want to tell you something briefly about this. Uh, God is very wise, and God is also very good. And he has set up a very cunning thing uh, to deal with people who will not surrender to what they know to be right. And what he does is he robs people of what they already know if they will not obey him. Now, the Christian life is like riding a bicycle. You get on and you ride it forwards. If you stop, you fall off. It's as simple as that. Once you're on, you've got to keep moving. Jesus said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So when you give your life to Jesus, you're in for life. And it's a, it's a life work. You've got to keep on getting, riding on that bicycle. And there's no stopping. There's no looking behind or you'll get into crashes. Now, can you imagine what God must be thinking if he gives people some true facts and they refuse to obey them, and yet they want to learn more things about God, yet they won't do what they already learned. Have you ever heard the story of the preacher who came into a church and he preached on every person in this church ought to invite one of his unsaved friends to come to church on Sunday? He preaches really heavy message and... People were falling out of their chairs with conviction. And, oh, pastor, this is a tremendous thing, and weeping all over altars and things. And he preached that Sunday morning. He's a brand new pastor. He was trying out in the church. And they said, wow, that was a fantastic sermon, pastor. We never heard a sermon like that. And he said, fine, come tonight. So they all came tonight, that night. He got up, he looked at the crowd, and he preached the same sermon he preached in the morning. Every Christian ought to bring an unsaved man in. Man, the anointing was powerful and more people were falling out of the chairs that hadn't heard it in the morning and the others were doubly convicted and they came up and they said, wow, that was really heavy. We're so glad you preached that again because a lot of us missed it this morning. You know? and he said, well, make sure you're at the prayer meeting on Thursday, prayer and chair meeting on Thursday evening. And they arrived on Thursday and guess what he preached on? Preached the same sermon. Afterwards, the deacons got together and they said, uh, oh, we should uh, really talk to this. I mean, he's a really good preacher. We really appreciate that. But I wonder if he's got any other sermons. Sunday night, Sunday morning, got up, preached that same sermon. And then they came to him in a big old body. They said, ah, oh, listen, um, I'll tell you what, Pastor, we really like that sermon. That's a good sermon. We've got it on tape. We're going to make copies of it and distribute it to our friends. I said, well, that's a heavy tape. That really is. It's a tremendous sermon. But uh, what we really wanted to know is, uh, do you have any other sermons? The young pastor looked at me and said, yes, and when you do what I told you the first time, I'll preach the second one. Now, see, God is like that. He gives you something simple to do, and he wants you to do it. And when you do that, then he'll give you something else. If I was a, a person who had invented some brand new fantastic knowledge, like a laser beam that could cut the top of this thing, it looks like a pencil, the other end is an anti-gravity beam, could levitate the whole top of this roof off. If I had one of those things, and you're from the mafia, and you come up and you say, I'll give you two million bucks for that knowledge, and I extend your knowledge, and you're a selfish man, then there's something wrong with me. Can you imagine a 6,000-year-old Hitler with all the technologies of today available to him? And what do you think God is going to do if a man refuses to obey him and refuses to love him and refuses to serve him? He is not going to let that man learn anything more. He is actually going to rob that man's mind of the knowledge he has. And God must do that because that is wise of God. That's why you read in the Bible, Satan is called wise until he falls and then he's called subtle and cunning but never wise.
God begins to rob knowledge from men. You know what the Bible says? To him that has, uh, that, that has not, from him shall be taken even that which he has. Him that has, to him shall more be given. When you take a little bit of what God has given, you say, all right, I, I'll take that. I accept it. I'll change. Take that one little bit and God gives you something else. You say, oh, wow, something else. And then you change again. Then he gives you something else. Boom, 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 boom. And that's why growth comes. And the man who says, no, I don't, I'm not interested in that. I want, I want to learn all these things. Oh, that's very interesting. Yes, praise the Lord. We really want to know more about that and not do it. God starts robbing him. And he has to. That's what it tells us here. He has blinded their minds, blinded their ears. Now, the verse I want you to really read comes immediately after this. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed on him. But because the Pharisees, of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Now here's another group of people that believed in Jesus. But of course these men were never saved because they refused to do what Jesus said is absolutely essential. He said, if you want to be saved, and remember Romans, in Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall confess with his mouth the Lord Jesus. You remember what Jesus said? Whosoever shall confess me before men, him also will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. Whosoever shall deny me before men, him also will I deny before my Father in heaven. There must be a public declaration. I'll tell you why that must be so. Let's imagine that you've been convicted of a terrible crime, a great, you know, you robbed the country of $3 billion. And now you're up on trial, and uh, you ask the judge for, you say, listen, I'm really guilty, I know that, but I really wish you'd pardon me because I've never robbed the country of $3 billion before. So I, I, you know, do you think you'd find in your heart to just give me another chance? And the judge says, well, we'll think about it. And then you say to the judge, of course, these are my conditions. I don't want you to tell anybody that I really stole that stuff. I mean, I did, but I don't want people to think that I was a robber or something. See? I really want your pardon, but don't tell anybody I did anything wrong. Do you think you'll get pardoned? Well, you remember a little... Uh, you have a little kid and you stole some cookies and your mother said, don't you touch these cookies or don't you eat that cake? And you went and you did that and you had your hands full of sticky cookies and she came in. What are you doing? <laughs> um, nothing. Uh, did you take any of these cookies? And you got them in your hands trying to crumble them to nothingness. <laughs> cookies, what cookies, you say? Now listen, friend. Every time you deny what you're actually doing, you simply harden the heart of the person who's in a position of punishment against mercy. Now, if you break down, you say, yeah, I do a cookie because I'm hungry. Then the mother probably says, I'll let you off, you know, all right. <laughs> you stand there with cookies all over your hands and say, who me? I don't know, cookies. I don't even know what a cookie is. Cookie who? <laughs> you're in trouble, baby. You really are. And here's a group of men who wanted to serve and believe Jesus, but they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They refused to confess him lest they be put out of the synagogue. They wanted to serve Jesus, only they wanted to do it popularly. And I want you to know this. No man who ever lives for God in a selfish world will be popular. Mark it down. While his Christian friends will love him. But that's about all. 
When you serve Jesus, you must know where he's going. There were three men who came up to Jesus, and the first man ran up to Jesus and he said, Lord, I'll follow you whithersoever thou goest. And he didn't even know where he's going. Jesus was going to a cross to die. Wicked men were going to crucify him, nail him up there in blood and agony. And he was going to a cross. Listen, if you follow Jesus Christ, you too had better be ready to be crucified. Either you will love God and follow him, and Jesus said, if they have done it to me, they'll do it to you. If they have hated me, they will hate you. And it is impossible to serve Jesus and still be popular with people who hate him. Did you ever hear about the man who went into the army? He went into the army and he was a, supposed to be a young Christian and uh, came out two years later and they said, how did you get on in the army? Did they give you a hard time? He said, no, I didn't get a hard time at all. I said, he said, you didn't? They didn't laugh at you or anything? No, he said, never had any problem. They said they didn't, they didn't put you down or did they say anything? I said, no, he never, they never found out I was a Christian. I kept it secret as I could. There is a class of people in the Bible who believe in Jesus, but Jesus doesn't believe in them, called the people pleasers. They love the praise of men more than the praise of God. And I'll show you how to recognize this last phony class of counterfeit conversions. Bible, of course, is very clear. We must confess Jesus openly. We must first of all admit we really are what he said we are. We're last man and woman who have been selfish not part of the time, but all of the time. And you can tell the signs of a people pleaser. And these are the first. I'm, gonna, I'm starting to run out of chalk here eventually. First of all, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, you'll find that the people pleaser does what Paul says he will do. They measure themselves among themselves. And they never find true faith because they keep on comparing themselves with other people instead of comparing themselves with the Bible and comparing themselves with Jesus. And a vast number of people in the world, instead of making Jesus their rule and Jesus their pattern and the Bible their guidelines, simply look at others and they say, what does a Christian look like in the world around me? And I'll be as much as I can like them. Now, in the scriptures, the Christian is a man who serves and loves God if the rest of the world backslides and goes to hell. He stands alone for Jesus. He loves God. And uh, the Christian does that which is right, not just that which is respectable. And sometimes it is easier to be respectable than to be right. The Christian doesn't deliberately go out to make himself a nuisance or to be a pest. The Christian, uh, and I know a lot of, lot of kids at school today that the teacher says some dumb thing that he shouldn't have said, and the Christian, this guy says, aha, I got him now, I'm going to go and really put him down. So they wait in the class, ah, you're wrong, man, teacher, see, this is a, well, you know, this kind of, and the kids say, yeah, because yeah, kids are always against teachers. But see, the Christian doesn't deliberately go out to make himself a nuisance, but he does stick up for truth. And that'll always bother people, I'll tell you why. Say in this room it was very dark, pitch black, and all of us were doing some very nasty things. And somebody comes in here with a flashlight, and he starts shining it. 
starts shining around. Everybody's going, ah, yeah, turn that light off, you know, stuff like this, see? Now, what do you do if a guy comes in with a flashlight? Well, you can do three things. You can say, you got me, pal, you know. All right, all right, I've done it. So you can admit it. What God wants you to do, be honest, admit, come out with the light. Or you can run away to another corner of the room where the light isn't. Or thirdly, you can try and shoot the guy who's got the flashlight. <laughs> and you understand, young people, when you go out, you'll meet some people who say, you got me, pal. You meet some who say, well, I'm sorry, I haven't got very much time. And keep running into the darkness. And you'll find some people who try to shoot the light out. They may try to do it with words. They may try to do it with actions. Mark it down if you're going to be a Christian. And you're going to be unpopular. So I'm not going to tell you how to be a cool, popular Christian. I'm going to tell you how to be an unpopular Christian because that's the Jesus kind. Two, the people pleaser never bothers to raise the standards of right. Now something burns in my heart for the Lord Jesus' church. I don't believe Jesus is coming back to a filthy prostitute but to a spotless bride. That's what the Bible says. And if there is a crowd of people pleasers in a church, they could care less what Jesus says about his church. He loves her and he died for her and he shed his blood to make her spotless and present her perfect before the throne of his grace. They don't care about that. If the church is in a rut of parties and socializing and messing around, they don't care. That, that's fine. Whatever's happening, that's fine with them. Something burns in my heart for Christ. We're going to do a little thing called the party. It's based on a... We got the idea from a Charlie Churchman film. You ever seen Charlie Churchman? The guy with the moustache. Runs around. He's an idiot. But he's a beautiful person, Charlie. He shows you what an idiot you can be. Charlie Churchman and Church Week, this particular film is. If you haven't seen it, I suggest you do and prepare yourself for an awful cutting experience. It opens up with him being run over by cars, with those old cars, you know, you know, this weird kind of fast. No, no soundtrack except music, bling, 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 you know. Cars running over and washing windscreens and falling off uh, ladders and all that kind of weird stuff. And you're laughing, you sucker, you laugh. Ha, 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 and then you're getting ready to be really soft, see. Because what happens is it's a typical church week. Opens up, I don't know, different things happen during the church week. First, they have the Christian bowling, bowling game. And the pastor's wearing his colour, he's got a perennial smile. See, and then he, they're all getting ready to bowl. And then they bowl, you know. He's got to make it Christian, put the prayer in first, see. And then, then they have a missionary council. All the ladies come in, there's going to be a missionary outreach. And all the ladies come in and... All you see is a whole bunch of ladies bringing pies, screeds of pies, clonk, clonk, clonk. There's a whole table full of pies, all smiling, put down another one, another one. Huge thing of pies. And then comes the missionary sermon. What happens is the ladies dress up. One, uh, one is, uh, you know, an uh, Eastern thing goes like this, and then runs away. And another one comes like this with a hula dance, you know, and then runs away. That's the missionary sermon. And uh, then they start eating the pies, see? And then right in the corner of the film, just quite suddenly, you see a thing that looks like a speedometer. And instead of going forwards, it's going backwards. It's counting down. It's going 20, 19. It just drops down and then goes back on, see? And then uh, you see a, a church collapse, a whole huge building <laughs> falling down. Bulldozer pushing it over. And then you see this huge plot of land being cleared. And the pastor comes up, takes a, takes a spade, smiles, prays, 
throws the... And then they un unlace this big, long, huge poster. It's a huge, monstrous thing. And it goes, $100,000, our new church parking lot. Or something like this. They all jump up and down. You know. It goes, 18. And then they have the outreach. They've got to win the sinners. So again, you see them bringing in food, chicken, all kinds of things. And they're having a party, see? A Wednesday night potluck fellowship. And they put a big sign right over the door here. It says, Sinners Welcome. And they put it inside the church where you have to come in and see it first, see? And then they all sit and lay out all the plates and all the food. And they're sitting down, they're smiling, and they wait for the sinners to come. Look. And nobody comes. Nobody can see that sign. So funny they go. And then they start eating this clunk, 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 clunk. This guy is chomping into this chicken. He's going, boom, 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 boom. You know, he's going right into this chicken. And then it's all color. Suddenly the music stops, the color stops, and you see a black and white slide of a kid dead of hunger in the streets of India. And then it goes right back. Clunk, 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 clunk. And then it snaps back, and you see 17. And then the church week wears on. And when it gets right near the end, they're having a Saturday planning session. And for goodness sake, 7.30, they all meet there. And the guy's got a blackboard just like this, and they've got $100,000. They've got to add some new things for the church. So the, uh, the guy's looking at the chairs. It's, it's plastic. See, it, it's, a, it's a solid sort of metal chair, but it doesn't look very pretty. So he's throwing those out, and he's going to get some nice plastic and chrome chairs, you know, to put in the thing. And he's covering the board with all the things the church, balloons for the kiddies, for the adults, balloons for the adults, all kinds of things, covering a whole board. And every time you look back, you see the, the clock is going click, 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 and that little deal is going click, five, four. And finally you look back, and they're all nearly asleep. It's about 12.30 in the mor in Sunday morning, and there's cobwebs all over them, right through the whole room. And he's still writing, tiny little writing in the board, Cobwebs all over. And then Sunday morning, the pastor there with his perennial smile, like this, and they had to bring in all the people on stretchers, tip them out, because they were so dead, running around doing all the programs, all, they're just about finished, see? They're falling all over. There's some asleep, some are wheeled in in wheelchairs, some are brought in on stretchers and tipped into the pews. The pastor still with his perennial smile, running around all over the pulpit, and uh, everybody's asleep. And you see Charlie... And his, his head sort of drops and the screen splits. And one side you see him asleep and then you see the whole events of the week. And every time, flack, 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 and it comes back to this little speedometer coming down. And then you see the last thing. Five, four, three, two, one. And then the screen goes black and you see a shot of the Earth from space. You know, the, a, a moon shot of the Earth with the green, blue planet. And right in the center you see a little dot like this. And it goes... Fills the whole screen. It's an H-bomb. Just goes... And the screen goes black, and that's the end of the film. You know what they were doing in Russia? Just before the Bolshevik Revolution? They were trying to decide on whether they should use tablecloths on the communion 
that were plain or fancy, and they spoke for three or four days on it, arguing up and down. I think it should be plain. I really don't think so. I think it's... And outside there were young people planning to blow up the world. While the revolution was on outside, the church was arguing about communion tablecloths inside. Sometimes I wonder when I walk into a church and I see kids in a rut of parties and games, selfish as the day is long, and I, something burns in my heart, and I says, where, where are the Christians? Kid comes in, listen, have a young Marxist came and sat down. I want you to imagine if in your church youth group, one young Marxist said, I'm going to destroy the system, a brilliant trained young man. He said, I'm going to tear the system around the ears of every Christian in this country. But he said, I'm going to give it one more chance. I'm going to go to a church. I'm going to find some kids my age, and I'm going to see if anybody really does know God. And if I can find one group of kids who really love God, then I'll give up my revolution. And he comes into your church youth group just when you're having the time you enjoy most, and he sits down, and he watches. And let me ask you a question. When he walks out of that room, will he go back to his destruction or will he give his life to God? And I walk into rooms, see, I was going to be a Marxist. And I see kids in a rut. I see a group of people pleasers going around trying to impress each other with just how selfish they can be and still call themselves Christian. Something in my heart cries out for God. How much has God been hurt by the selfishness of people who are phonies, people pleasers? I went into a church some time back. Guy says, did you have any additions to the church? I said, no, I had some blessed subtractions. Got rid of some kids that should have got rid of, been got rid of a lot earlier. You know what they did in the Bible? They preached, they laid out the message of salvation, and people sat and listened. They waited for them to change. If they didn't, they went to see him personally. They said, listen... This is what's happening, and this is what ought to be done. Will you change? The guy says, no, I have no intention of changing, and there's the door. Could you please close it as you leave? They went back, and they got somebody else who was concerned, and they came together in love, and they said, will you change? And the guy said, no, I'm not, and the door's in the same place. They went out, and then they waited until church when everybody was sitting here, and then they nailed them. They said this, isn't it time you gave up your selfishness and gave your life to God right there in the church? Not preaching to somebody in particular. You know, just, I wonder if there's anybody here that would really have heard God. Oh, of course, none of you. None of you. Just somebody. Maybe outside the walls. Maybe somebody you know, but not you. Man, I'd been so thrilled if some preacher had come right to me and said, Listen, man, you are a phony as the day is long. You're right, but I wish somebody had told me that earlier. For six years, I wasted my life. The time I was 12 to the time I was 18, in phony Christianity. And there's nothing more miserable than a person who tries to live both worlds, to please the crowd and to please God. God says, I'd far rather you call yourself a good, honest atheist. At least you... I admire the man who says, I don't have anything to do with God. I, I, I don't worship him, I don't follow him. I would rather admire that man than the man who says, oh yes, I love Jesus, I really am a Christian, it's really cool, and then lives exactly like the atheist. Let me tell you my definition of an atheist. An atheist is somebody who practically lives as if God does not exist. And about 80% of most of the youth groups that I work in are atheists under that definition. David Wilkerson goes into a church. He preaches as if every kid in the place is unsaved, including the pastor. 
I think it's high time we stopped taking things for granted and started seeing what the Bible says about genuine Christianity. You watch Jesus deal with the people pleasers in his day. You want to read some of the stories in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20? He took some of the church leaders of his day who had made a nice little cool thing about what a Christian was, and he burned them so badly they said, he is a devil. He took these men, and sometimes I think, I find that attitude buried in some people that ought to know better, people who are church leaders, and every effort to open their eyes to show them that the, the, the church is in such a worldly place that if a New Testament Christian from 2,000 years ago walked into the church and he wanted to have fellowship, he'd have to backslide. You show them that, and they get really uptight. Listen, don't rock the boat, baby. This is cool. We've got it all. It's all set. Don't touch it. Jesus, with a heart breaking, said, How can you escape the damnation of hell? My heart is broken because I felt God's heart break over his world. I know what he feels like a little tiny winny bit because he showed me a little bit of what I've done to hurt him. And I think it's time Christians took revenge on sin. Sin has hurt God, it's hurt me, it's hurt others, and I'm going to get revenge on it. The last thing I do for Christ, I'll get revenge on sin. I'll go back and clean up where I've wrecked. I'll put back where I have stolen. I will forgive where I've hated. That is Christianity. And then the third sign is that they oppose measures and men who before the Lord are trying to bring them into a real New Testament experience. I can always tell the people pleaser because he never usually comes out very strong to begin with. You can preach, you can lay out the conditions of the gospel, and the people pleaser will sit back there saying, I'm not going to do this, man. I've made my mind up. and this." So what they usually do is start a whispering campaign. They go up and they say, hey, listen, uh, uh, do you really believe that, what he's been saying? I don't believe that, man. I really don't. This, uh, try and find, see. And they won't commit themselves very publicly. And then, of course, if, if the person isn't very popular that comes in, then, then they'll say, oh, well, uh, yeah, I don't really like this guy. And then, of course, if a great revival breaks out and he does become popular, I say, oh, yes, I was his friend all along. You know, I prayed for him, you know. See, they change. Just like, remember the chameleon, that funny little creature? You put him on a blue thing and he turns blue. You put him on a red thing and he turns red. You put him on a yellow thing and he turns yellow. You put him on a scotch tartan plate and he blows his mind and dies. <laughs> The, uh, there are a lot of people who are like that. No, oh, one way, right on, if the preacher is popular. And then if he gets unpopular, oh, well, I really thought there was a lot of things wrong with him anyway. I remember how it's sometimes hard to, Charles Finney calls it this way, forming a public sentiment in favor of godliness. I remember we came back from a, from a, um, a meeting one night Joy Dawson, the woman of God who will be with you later on during the week, was at that same meeting, one of the finest, deepest spiritual conventions that our little country in New Zealand has ever had. And I came back with my heart full of God. 
And we were driving the early hours of the morning, and I saw a hamburger stand. And there was a guy standing there cooking hamburgers. And we were really hungry. We hadn't eaten anything. So we all got out, full of praise to God. We went over to this hamburger stand. And this college kid was cooking hamburgers. And every now and then, ooh! It was like he stabbed me right in the heart. And he took the Lord's name of honor. I said, ooh! I can't tell you how much that hurt. And I said to God, if he says that one more time, I'm going to get him, Lord. Straight away! And again. So I looked at him, I said, do you know him? He said, who? I said, Jesus Christ. I just heard you use his name. Well, sometimes I think you know him, sometimes I don't. I said, I happen to know him a lot and love him, and you just hurt him. Well, Hamburger stand closed down half an hour later, and we moved into an evangelism meeting. And all the people came, been <laughs> buying their hamburgers, and the guy came out of his hamburger stand. They shut the thing down, and we went on preaching. We had a number of kids give their life to Christ that night. But it's not easy to stand up for God. It's not easy to do that, but you have to ask yourself this question. Am I going to suffer reproach for Jesus? Am I going to slap this guy in the back so I can slap Christ in the face? I understand. I'm going to have to say, all right, it may be hard, but I'm going to stick up for Jesus because he's number one. You girls would understand that if a guy really loved you and somebody came and was putting you down and... and calling you names, if he really loved you, he would stick up for you. He would say, don't you say that about it. That's not true at all. That is, unless he loved his own reputation more than he loved you. In which case, he'd say, well, if you want to say that, that's fine. You know, go ahead. What kind of love is that, man? You girls would get on the case soon enough. You say you love Jesus, stick up for him. The Bible says this. Here's in living letters. When you love somebody, this is 1 Corinthians 13, right at the end, in living letters. When you love somebody, you will be loyal to them, no matter what the cost. You will always believe the best of them, always expect the best of them, and always stand your ground in defending them. When you love somebody, you'll be loyal to them, no matter what the cost. And then, number four, a people pleaser makes a split between the things that people say you ought to do And the things that people know you ought to do, but don't do. In other words, if the pastor of the church preaches long and strongly on not eating chocolate ants on Sunday, then the person who is a people pleaser will not eat chocolate ants on Sunday while the world stands. But if there are other things in the Bible equally clear, or more so clear than not eating chocolate ants on Sunday, but they're not very popular, because that doesn't fit in with the kind of structure of the thing that's set up, the people pleaser will ignore those things. He won't care about them. In other words, he will choose for himself which of God's commands he will obey and which he will disobey. You can soon see where his heart is. His heart is not fixed on serving and loving Jesus. His heart is fixed on serving himself. And you ought to know this about the people pleaser and the in crowd. The reason why he is serving God is not simply because it is popular to be a Christian. It's a double motive. When it is not too unpopular to be a Christian, he serves God in order that he can take care of heaven and everything else behind that. 
And so he has a double motive. I have sometimes got on planes and I've seen soldiers, young guys who've just been drafted, heading out, they're going to go to Vietnam or some training camp or something. And I'm sitting down, the, the wait, you know, the airline waitress always comes around, she says, could I get you a drink, you know, before you leave? And she brings Bloody Marys and all kinds of other weird things around. And I say, yes, you could bring me a large orange juice, please, about yay high, see? Now, and I'm sitting there, and here's this guy, he gets on, sits down, you know, trying on his army uniform and that. You can tell he's just fresh out of the induction center, whatever it is. And he's sitting down, the waitress comes around, she says, yes, what can you get? So, would you like a Bloody Mary? Oh, yes, I'll have a Bloody Mary, please, give me three or four, you know. So he's sitting there trying this stuff out, and then I, I start witnessing to him. I ask him where he is, and she says, and I say, well, I'm a Christian. He says, oh, you are, you're a Christian. Puts his bottle on me. <laughs> I'm a Christian too, he says. I say, oh, really? Tell you how you can tell a people pleaser. He separates the things God requires from the, uh, and that people know about from the things that God requires but not too many people know about. And you can always tell him because he changes his colors when the crowd changes. Now, I've learned to recognize people pleasers because I lived like that for six years. And it's easy to spot something you've been in and come out of. i tell you what I did. When I was with a church crowd, I was that churchiest kid you ever saw, man. I went five times a day, and I doubt very much whether even in a YWAM crusade you have five services a day. You probably have one today. Five. But I had five church services a day. And I sung led in some of those services. Sing everybody in young, you know. Did some solos, sung just a closer walk with thee and walked as close to hell as I possibly could go. Saturday, our church is 15 miles away from my hometown. All my friends came over and we put our rock band together. Did I sing church song? Well, if we're doing a church thing, I always put a church song in, you know, giving a plug for God. He should consider himself very lucky that I put a plug in for him at the end of that thing. And then what I do on Monday? Well, I wasn't with anybody, so I broke into houses for entertainment. And I lived like that for five years. Housebreaking on Monday, band on Saturday, and church on Sunday. God bless you, Pastor. What a wonderful sermon. I really appreciate that sermon, Pastor. Fantastic sermon, Pastor. That was very cool, Pastor. See, my halo is out, polished with brasso and everything. Then come Monday night, I put my hello back up on the shelf, and next Saturday, my horns started growing again. Cut my tail and my horns on Saturday night, and we were back in church. Sunday morning, smiling, God love you, Pastor. Oh, good heavens. I'll tell you how you can tell a person's heart. Very simply, you can test them with obedience in little things. And that's precisely what Jesus does. He says, he that is faithful in few things will I make ruler over many things. I'll give you an example of what I mean. If I have here in front of me two piles of money, this pile is a gigantic pile of money. It's $1,000, which is taken up by the early morning collection of Wywood. Ha ha. $1,000 of counted bills. And over here, is a small pile of uncounted change, nickels, pennies, dimes. And this whole place clears out, and you come back in here, and you see there's two piles of cash. Now, this is counted. We've got the serial numbers. We know what it is. We know how much it is. This one isn't. 
You know that. If you come into this room and you see that and you see this, and you snitch one dime off that pile, you prove you'd snitch that whole thousand dollars if you had the chance. Because you see, your heart is not being regulated by what is right in obedience to God. You did not steal that because you love God. The reason why you didn't steal that is you could think that somebody could find it. Who stole this thousand dollars? Search that kid's case. There is a thousand bucks in his case. Send him off to jail. Why didn't you steal a thousand dollars? Because your reputation was at stake. People pleasing. What about this one? If a man comes in, he sees that money, he thinks it has, and says, ah, oh, that's not right. I can't take that, it doesn't belong to me. He refuses the dime, God knows where his heart is at. And God will test you, give you a little thing. See what you do with that. Obey it, and you prove to him you really mean business. And it's sometimes easy to do the big things because there's other motives besides serving Jesus in them. How many of you want to be a world-famous evangelist? Oh, me, me, me! Everybody wants to be a world-famous evangelist. How many of you want to serve God by going and apologizing to your mother for saying rotten things to you? <laughs> I want to tell you something. A people-pleaser breaks God's law whenever it suits him. Joseph Fletcher is a man I'd put into this category, a man who put together situation ethics. Fletcher does a really sneaky thing here. Fletcher says, well, story is this, friends. Let's say somebody comes breaking. He says, you've got to break God's law sometime. After all, nobody's perfect, quote, unquote. He says, let's say somebody comes busting into your house, and here they are, he's an insane, ah! he says, as a Christian, just come running into your house and he's hiding in the closet, see? He says, oh, save me, there's an idiot outside chasing me with a gun who's going to drill me, the Zodiac killer is chasing me, see? Now, you're hiding in the cupboard there, the door closed, you know, and this other Christian comes to the door and he says, yes, sir, what can I do for you? You know, he's got, got this gun, he's going to shoot me. He says, is there a Christian in this house hiding in your closet? And Fletcher says, I suppose you Christians would say, I am George Washington. I cannot tell a lie. Yes, he's hiding in my closet. Go in and kill him. <laughs> so Fletcher says, see, you've got a choice. You either break God's law and lie, or you tell the truth and kill the guy. And he says, you've got to break one of them. So which one do you do? You do the one that you think is the most loving. You don't want him to die, so you tell a lie. You say, no, he's not here. I don't know what you're talking about. That's one situation. Here's another one. Here's a girl... Her, her husband and her family have been split off from her. She's been put in a German concentration camp during the war. There's only one way you can get out of this concentration camp, and that is if you get pregnant. Then they'll move you out. But the, the girl is not pregnant. She's behind the walls. How does she get out? Does she commit, in Fletcher's eyes, the greater crime of staying away from her parents, from her uh, husband, from her kids? Or does she offer herself to some friendly, willing German guard so she can get pregnant, go out and rejoin her husband? Purity or that greater immorality of not, um, or of not going back to a husband and the people who need her. Now, Fletcher would say, well, it's obvious. You simply do the loving thing. You offer yourself to the God and then go and join the rest of your family. How cool. Let me tell you some things about God's law. Number one, situation one, you do not need to lie. And no Christian has a right to lie to save his life or anybody else's. But neither do you have to say anything. It just happens to be an amendment, I do believe, in your constitution that says you can plead that and not say anything. Man comes rushing out and says, Is there a Christian in here? 
I have to say, oh, I am George Washington. Yes, he is. I can say, no, I am Winky Pratt. Now get lost out of my house. I don't have to use the word no. I can say this. Listen, you don't, what are you doing here? Get out of my house. Not only that, if this guy is insane or he's demon-possessed or something, I happen to be a Christian. I have the big three behind me. I can say, come here, friend. <laughs> See? Zap! Trouble with Joseph Fletcher is that he leaves God out of his theology. God doesn't even need to be there. It's totally humanistic, man-centered. What about the girl who's in the concentration camp? I know some people who got stuck in prisons too. Peter was stuck in between two Roman soldiers. He didn't have to become a homosexual to get out of prison. He, they prayed and God sent an angel and bleep, and doors opened, bleep. Angel pointed guard, and they both went like this. Boop, boop, and the links went clunk, clunk, and they fell on the floor. Peter thought it was a dream. That was a cool dream. And he's walking out. <laughs> Every time he came to a prison door, just opened like a supermarket. Wop, wop, wop. He walks out in the front of the thing, and he's outside. He thinks this is the realest dream I've ever had. Ow! Not a dream. I believe in a God who can bust people out of prisons. But understand that Christian is willing to die, but he will serve Jesus and not break his laws or his heart. Understand that. Here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Guy says, man, when you hear the sound of the music, you bow and worship my big idol up there. They said, oh, really? We only worship God, see? They'll play the music. Everybody bowed, and there's three guys standing there. Guy comes up to me and says, maybe you don't understand Babylonian very well. <laughs> Language problem, see? I have said that if anybody isn't bowed in my idol, I'm going to feed them inside that thing. You see that fire? They said, we understand, and we're not going to bow. You know what they would have done in a situation ethics? Ah, well, it's only for a day, you know. Praise the Lord, amen. We're really going to, we're not going to, we're not really bowing the idol. We're worshiping Jesus here on our knees. Oh, praise the Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord Jesus. See, that's what they would have done in a situation ethics. Not in the Old Testament. They stood there and said, nobody's going to, nobody's going to think we compromise with sin. We stand. We'll die, but we'll not. We'll not bow. You know what they said? Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. But if not, we will not bow. We will not bow. If not, and faith has an infinite, my friend, Christian is a dead man on furlough. He's given his life to Christ. Nobody can kill him. He's already dead. He died whenever he gave his life to Jesus. Can't take his soul that belongs to God. They can't take his home, and it's not here, it's up there. He's an alien in a strange land, and he's happy to get to heaven. Shoot me if you like. I'll just be right in the presence of the king. Torture me. You can only hurt for a little while. You're going to hurt a lot longer. <laughs> what did Nebuchadnezzar do? No! Heat that furnace up seven times hotter. Poured all kinds of bitumen, oxyacetylene. <laughs> thing, a gigantic flame goes up to heavens. Nebuchadnezzar says, throw those three creeps in that furnace. And he did it. Thou throwest those three creepers into the furnace. <laughs> and I bound them up. Flame was so hot coming out of the front of that thing, it turned them in into potato chips. <laughs> they were going to throw them in. 
They fell down bound in the middle of the furnace, in the flame. And then Nebuchadnezzar got his Polaroid binoculars. <laughs> and you see him looking, you see his crown stand. Because inside that furnace, he sees not one, not two, not three, but four men walking around in the middle of the flames. Just like a summer stroll inside the furnace. <laughs> the fourth one, he says, something wrong with my eyes here. So he, he says, do we just throw three men in that furnace? And, and then there's four. I can see four. And then the likeness, the fourth one is likened to a son of God. He didn't bow. God saw they didn't burn either. But understand, they were ready to burn. And so must the Christian be. He is not a people pleaser. He does not serve people's opinions. He serves Jesus Christ. And he will not break God's laws or God's heart, though it cost him his life, he will not do it. Sometimes it is more of a brave thing to run than to surrender. Do you remember Joseph? Up came Potiphar, the wife. She was a really swinging hooker in those days. And she said to Joseph, hey, uh, you're kind of a cool guy. I really like to know more about you. And he recognized that, man. She grabs hold of his clothes. He takes over off there and he has to leave half his clothes behind. Man, it was better to run than surrender. People please, it does not give in to God. He gives in to sin. He does it all the time. And you can recognize your own heart like that. And then the people pleaser indulges in secret sin. Here's a way you can check your own life. If you allow yourself any deliberate secret sin, you hold on to it time and time again. You know how to get out of it. You know it's wrong. You know how it to get cleaned up out of it, you know what God expects is, and you hold on to it, then mark your name down, friend, people, please. Your worship is outward. Your worship is external. You do not love God. You love the praise of men. The reason why you keep your front up is because the only people you're interested in pressing is Christians, not God. If you really hated sin, if you really loved God, you would not surrender in. The secret sin. I used to, boy, when I was a people pleaser, I hated preachers who preached about the Bible and prayer and Bible study. They'd point long bony fingers. How many times have you read the Bible? Do you like reading the Bible? Oh, I hated that, man. They always pointed right at me. I could sit in the back, they'd point way over there. I could sit here, they'd point here. They always, and these long bony preachers in New Zealand, black coats. How many of you always they picked on me? I hated that, man. I just hated it. So I went, I... Go out and I'll just read the Bible right through, just so I can say, yes, I have. <laughs> People, please, dread the thought of being called fanatics. Now, understand, I'm not talking about being a Jesus freak. I am not a Jesus freak. I might freak some people out, but I'm not a Jesus freak. Jesus is not a freak either. He comes up and he says, hey, I'm a Jesus freak too. I said, I'm not. 
I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Most High God. He's made me his child. He's put me in his royal family. And I'm some weird freak. And I tell you this, if you serve Jesus, you're going to go right against the opinions of the world. They'll hate you for it. And the people pleaser never wants to do anything that will mark him as being a little bit more spiritual. He aims at a nice, comfortable temperature where he can serve God and serve himself at the same time. And you already know that's not possible. And the man who comes in and say, well, this is the kind of thing the people pleaser will say, well, it's all right to be a Christian and all that, but you don't have to take that too far. I mean, you don't have to do all kinds of, you know, it's, it really gets a little bit fanatical when you're talking about Christ, when you're just going out to eat or going out to play or something, for goodness sake. Uh, you know, a, a good thing's a good thing, but there's limits to it. They hate being called fanatical. Jesus was called mad because he wouldn't eat sometimes and he wouldn't sleep sometimes. He was so concerned about people. And the disciples said, you better eat something. His heart was so set on seeing men change. They said to Paul, Paul, you've gone nuts. Much learning has made you mad. He said, I'm not mad. I am not mad. I wish you were like me, except for these chains. Do you remember the man whom Jesus delivered, who was a Gadarean maniac, he came running down, this dude, he would take chains and chain him up, clunk, clunk, with these big old manacles, he'd go, ah, and he'd smash them off. He lived up there in the graveyards, in the tombs. Ah, and he'd cut himself with stones in the early hours of the morning. Scared everybody to death, man. You didn't even go around that area. You came, parked your boat on the sand, he came running down, ah, cutting himself, boy, and he was a strong guy, he's powerful. So where did Jesus head off to? Headed off there. Man, all the disciples pulled him in the boat. Jesus got out of the boat, and here comes the maniac running down the hills, and all the disciples got back in the boat. <laughs> and Jesus stopped them with a word. And this guy came up, he said, you come to torment us before our time? We know who you are, Holy Son of God. We know who you are. And Jesus said, what is your name? They said, Legion, for we are many. Voices talking out of his mouth. And they begged, oh, don't send us out of here. Send us into those pigs if you're going to send us. What are Jews doing keeping pigs, by the way? Not supposed to keep pigs. That's very unkosher, see? Send us into these pigs. Jesus said, all right, go. Pigs rushed down, glug, 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 buried themselves in the sea. And the guy was delivered. He put his clothes on and he became in his right mind. You know what the Bible says? When they saw that he was sitting clothed in his right mind, they were afraid. Isn't that funny? The, people is, the world has always been afraid of people in their right minds. <laughs> and here's another sign of the people pleaser. They're often ashamed... to do what they should. So ashamed that they will not do it. You can tell where the hearts are at 
I know preachers, and they don't care what God thinks of them when they're finished a sermon. They care what people think. Somebody comes up and says, oh, that was a cool sermon. They say, oh, wow, thank you. Oh, that's marvelous. Well, I really wasn't very much, but, you know. Guy came, he preached a really scary sermon about getting cleaned up. Guy came out and smiled. He says, oh, I really enjoyed that sermon. The guy said, where did I fail? You can tell there are some quartets and some singing groups that I know of people pleasers. They're up there. Watch that high note, man. It always blesses people when you hit that high note and hold it. They're more concerned about their reputation than they're concerned about Jesus. Ask a question. How much time do you spend in front of the mirror preparing your body, your face, compared to how much time you spend preparing your heart to come into God's house? You spend three hours in front of your mirror looking at yourself and two minutes preparing your soul, your backslidden. People pleasers care about what people think. Christians care about what God thinks. People pleasers have their hearts set on pleasing people. God's heart. God's heart is broken by the people pleaser. And I remember a boy in a camp was like this. So ashamed of giving in to Jesus, he just wouldn't do it. And I didn't know what to do with him. And I'd prayed with him. I'd told him how to become a Christian. I'd done everything I knew how. And finally, I didn't know what else to say to him, so I said to the boy, listen, man, I want you to say one of two things to Christ. You either say, God, I'm going to serve you, I'm going to follow you, I'm going to worship you, or else you just, just tell him you're not going to do anything at all, but don't stay where you're at. Don't try and stay in this cool thing. And I said, I'm going to give you just 60 seconds. I'm going to go away, and at the end of those 60 seconds, I'm going to come back and I'll ask you which one you're going to do. Tell God one of those two things. I went away for 60 seconds, said, oh, Lord, get him. Came back, I said, what's it going to be? He didn't say anything. I said, all right, you've got to say it with your mouth. You tell God one or the other, I'll serve you or I reject you. You tell him one of those two, because I said, if you stay the way you are, you're rejecting God, only you're trying to pretend to yourself you're not. 60 more seconds. Oh, Lord, get him. Came back, what's it going to be? Silence. Said to him, I don't know, I don't know what to do. I told him everything. Uh, his friends had been getting saved, and he wasn't. So I put my hand on his head. I said, Lord, this guy's going to go out into the darkness here, just like Judas into the night. His head went down, clunk. And I said, I don't know what to say to him. I've, I've shared the gospel, shared how much you love him. And he's just holding on to his selfishness and trying to pretend to himself and pretend to everybody else. He went, clunk. I said, I don't know what to say anymore, God. Amen. So I finished. And then I grabbed a piece of paper. I said, what's your name? So he gave me his name. I wrote it down. I, put his name, being of sound mind and sound body, do hereby declare I do not want God to be my father. I do not want Christ to be my savior. I bequeath my body to the ground and my soul to its rightful owner, the devil. Please read this at my funeral. Dot, 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 dot. Gave him the paper. I said, here, sign it. <laughs> he read it too. He said, I'm not going to sign that. I said, why not? It's true, isn't it? 
You don't want to surrender to God? He said, I want to sign that. I said, look, I, don't, I want to show the world what happens when a kid turns his back on God and tries to be phony. I don't want some preacher having to stand up and say over your funeral, he was a good boy. He must have served Jesus. He loved going to Sunday school. You sign that. Sign it for me. I want to show the world what happens to a kid who deliberately turns his back on the love of God. Sign it. He said, I'm not going to sign it. I said, then get on your knees and give your life to God. <coughs> Boom, he fell out of his chair on his knees. Boom. He started crying. I said, you say, Jesus. He said, Jesus, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. He said, I'm a sinner. I said, a dirty, rotten sinner. <laughs> and then he started to weep. The Spirit of God came down strong on him. Got honest. Gave up his people-pleasing ways. Jumped off his knees. I didn't have to say, I wonder if you're a Christian. Ran around and hugged everybody in the camp, hugged the trees, hugged the... <laughs> Listen to what the scriptures say. Wherefore, come out from among them, be a separate people, and I will receive you, saith the Lord, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters. Search the scriptures, Jesus said, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. I received not honor from men. How can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that comes from God alone? Let's close in prayer. Father, we have talked about three kinds of men and women, three kinds of people who believe that they are Christians and are deceived. God, forgive the preachers of our generation that have given young people such a Mickey Mouse picture of the gospel you died to bring to the world. Give every kid in this place a searching examination of their hearts and lives and a reevaluation of the message they come to bring. We don't want decisions in a crusade like this, O oh God. Give us disciples who love Jesus Christ with a consuming love. And Father, it would gladden your heart if only three people in this entire area really fell in love with Jesus Christ. We're not interested in 3,000 who make a decision and then fall away and die. Give us not stillborn but fullborn people that Jesus may have all the honor and glory. Amen. Yeah, well, I never want to be a part of the in crowd anyway. And if you think I'm kidding, ask anybody who knows me. <laughs> uh, you can find the, uh, the the links to the document that you need to read this particular week. It's, uh, it's here on the podcast. And uh, thanks for coming to see us. Come back next week and we'll have a new one for you. See ya. <laughs>